Hi, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, a positively deviant organization dedicated to creating a flourishing world. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Positivity Prescription Podcast Series 1. The series is based on my 6M model of flourishing, which includes six core psychological capabilities that decades of research suggests are essential in creating a flourishing life. Mood, motivation, might, meaning, mindfulness, and mindset. So join me as I speak with experts from around the globe as they share their experiences and insights together with practical strategies to proactively improve your mental health and well-being. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Michelle McQuaid. Michelle is a best-selling author, workplace wellbeing teacher, and playful change activator. With more than a decade of senior leadership experience in large organizations around the world, she's passionate about translating cutting-edge research from positive psychology and neuroscience into practical strategies for health, happiness, and business success. An honorary fellow at Melbourne University's Graduate School of Education, Michelle blogs for Psychology Today, hosts the top-rated weekly podcast, Making Positive Psychology Work, and her work has been featured in Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, the Wall Street Journal, Boss Magazine, The Age, and more. Well, welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, Susie, it's wonderful to be here with you. And of course, you're over in Canada at the moment. We're missing you here in Australia. Uh, I'm missing the Australian beaches, but I'm learning to make do with the Canadian forest. <laughs> well, I I have heard that that is perhaps something that we don't know about you. And I know that's a question you like to ask on your podcast, which, by the way, I absolutely love, as you know, and highly recommend making positive psychology work. So is that something that people don't know about you? Is the You, you tell us a little bit more about that, Michelle. Absolutely. Well, I do need nature in order to care for my well-being. And uh, growing up in Australia, I've been very spoiled of often having a beach not very far away. And so before I left Australia, the daily walk on the beach with the dog was absolutely my sanity save. Mm. I needed to see that horizon each morning to just keep perspective on things. And so moving to Toronto, where you don't have a beach, you have lakes. And I'm still in the firm mindset that a lake is not a beach. It's not the same thing, even if you (laughs) import sand. But um, Toronto, Toronto has sort of a forest right, uh, rolling all through the middle of the city. It's quite bizarre. And so literally out our backyard is this huge ravine. And so we have a big deck out there and because we're coming to the end of summer at the moment. The last few months have been doing a little forest bathing on the uh, couch on the back deck and I'm learning to love the forest as much as I've loved my beach. So it's keeping me sane. <laughs> I love that, Michelle. And I'm a fan too of, I think, and if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's Shinrin-yoku. Is that correct? The Japanese term for forest bathing? I believe so. Yes, I believe so. And um, I might just add a little bit of uh, something people might not know about me, but most people know my last name is Green, which is perfect really, isn't it, for flourishing, (laughs) (laughs) for creating a flourishing world. But people might not know that my partner's last name is Forest, actually. So um, (laughs) so it's a a perfect combination. You should should take his last name and hyphenate it with yours, mate. I mean, that is just waiting to happen. (laughs) Susie Green Forest, it's perfect. Match made in heaven. (laughs) So, Michelle. Michelle, thank you so much. And of course, you were the perfect person for me to ask if you would come on as my first guest to talk about the M of, and of course, I've taken a little bit of creative license here. So when it comes to strengths, I've called it might, so it works with all the other M's. But of course, you were the first person that came to mind, given you've been working in this space for such a long time. Michelle, how long is it that you've been studying Uh strengths? 
Just over a decade. And I was so lucky because when I did the Masters of Positive Psychology, one of my teachers was Chris Peterson at the University of Pennsylvania, who, of course, was, you know, one of the original researchers in this space. So I was gifted with an amazing beginning into the strengths literature and research. Isn't that wonderful? And I was very fortunate in getting to meet him briefly. I think, in fact, he did the haka with uh, one of my girlfriends who has a Maori heritage in a pub in Melbourne, which is another little fact that people might not know. But uh, yes, what an amazing opportunity, Michelle, to have studied with him. And then, of course, you've gone on and really as much as we know that you do work very broadly in positive psychology. It really has become an area that you're known for. And do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of how that's happened and the surveys that you've conducted, which have been really interesting as well? Yeah, well, when I was doing the Masters of Positive Psychology, the strengths work just sat with me right in the heart, you know, of all the different things we were learning and you get exposed to so many ideas during those kind of programs. You come out like, oh, where do I start? And for me, strengths was just the low-hanging fruit. Now, Mm. at the time, I was in a very large auditing firm where looking for strengths was about the last thing we did every day. (laughs) It was, you know, your reputation was made by pointing out faults vigorously and loudly. And so I think, you know, strengths for me were like a breath of fresh air. But it was also an amazing challenge to think, well, if you could take strengths into a workplace like that and help people find value and effectiveness in it, then I thought you could probably do it just about anywhere. (laughs) So for me coming out of my study, strengths was really the first thing I was so hugely passionate about trying to test out, find ways we could embed it in how we were working and then be able to share it with others. And so from there, I was very fortunate to work closely with the Vera Institute, which I continue to do. We run a strengths challenge normally once a year we are and live happy, uh, where people can come in and pick a strength and create a little habit and see how they go for a week. And also to then partner with the Mayerson Academy, who, again, are kind of like a sister company to the Vigor Institute in Cincinnati, who are creating a strong Cincinnati, um, embedding strengths in all sorts of organisations, schools and community groups in that city. And Mayerson Academy, uh, we worked together last year and actually did a very large strength survey in the US with a thousand workers. And just some really interesting insights that we can dig into more as we keep chatting about how do you make this practical and operational, as great as the research is, we've still got a lot of questions on that front that really have not been answered from the academic studies. We absolutely have, and we'll put a bit more information around those organisations on um, our Facebook page. But Michelle, before we actually dig a bit deeper, um, and I sort of mentioned that I've taken a bit of creative licence in terms of calling strengths might, but what does strengths actually mean to you? Yeah, so I always, when I explain strengths to anybody, I just say your strengths are the things that you are good at and enjoy doing. Mm. It's not a very academic definition, but I I find that most of us can kind of wrap our heads around that. And it probably speaks beautifully to might, Susie, that our strengths are things that we're good at and enjoy doing. The other way I like to describe them is that they are our neurological superpowers. Mm. They are the things that light our brains up when we are performing at our best. They're also the things that over time our brains have become the very best at doing, which is why we tend to be good at them and enjoy doing them. So it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling neurological cycle for us. So I like to think of them as our neurological superpowers. Bit of a positive reinforcement, as um, you were saying there. And I've been reading quite a bit about humanistic psychology because I've been telling people in my undergrad, we probably had one lecture on it. And as 
you know, Michelle, positive psych sits on the shoulders of humanistic psychology. So I've been going back to the mm. original writings by Maslow and Carl Rogers and the concept of peak experience I'm finding really interesting and I'm curious about whether, and of course that's one of my top strengths, but I'm, I'm curious about <laughs> what the role strengths might play in these peak experiences or awe. And um, I don't know if there's any research. Would you know of any of that, any research available on that? Not off the top of my head. I know yeah. there's been quite a bit around things like wisdom, for example, yeah, right. which perhaps is part of a peak experience. There's yes. uh, definitely been some looking at how our strengths open up that capacity for wisdom within us. But again, I think it's a fascinating line of inquiry to go down. And of course, you know, so much of the strengths work is intersected with the work of Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi around flow. Yes. And so sometimes flow also equating to some of those peak states for us where we're in the zone, we're one with the music, we lose all sense of consciousness, self-consciousness, and we're just there and present and learning and growing in the ways that we are meant to. Absolutely. And I mean, you picked up a, made a good point, particularly in your early experience of where you were working, where strengths weren't really noticed or used much at all. And even in the early days, I know I was using strengths very early on like you, and it was a whole lot of excitement and interest in doing, say, the VIA assessment and talking about it in a workshop. But the constant challenge we face, and I know a lot of people have faced, is that people don't do anything with it. So we've sort of broken it up into three components, looking at firstly, strengths knowledge, so learning about what your strengths are. And of course, a tool like VIA um, is fabulous for that, but then using them and then also spotting them in others. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you actually bring them to life? As you were saying, it's one thing to sort of do the assessment, but it's another thing to actually put them into practice. Yeah, I love the categories that you're talking about because, again, our research and experience teaching this in all sorts of workplaces and schools would absolutely also suggest that while people are super happy to take a strength survey and figure out what they're good at generally, then it tends to be, well, I know what they are. Surely I'm just getting on with it. And and that is absolutely not the case, unfortunately, for most of us. In that study that we did in the US last year with the Mason Academy and a thousand US workers that were representative of the working population at that time. And they may or may not have understood quite what strengths were. We, we weren't assuming like they weren't from VIA's right. database or my database. or So these are people who may have been exposed to work on strengths in their organisation or may not really know anything more than a strength is something that I'm good at and enjoy doing because that's how we introduced it. And we definitely saw that while knowing what my strengths were would help people feel more engaged, be performing better, be more satisfied in their jobs, there was a statistically significant difference once they started using their strengths regularly as they were going about their jobs. Everything lifted up on those sorts of things. But the challenge in being able to use them consistently, exactly to your point about spotting them, is having that social support around Mm. us. And there were two places where that really seemed to pay off. One was if leaders were having meaningful strengths conversations with their people. So talking about, well, what are your biggest strengths? You know, what lights you up as you go about your job? What are you looking forward to this week? I love that as a question because yeah. anybody's answer is starting to give you insights into the strengths right. that they've got because if we're looking forward to it, chances are we're good at and enjoy doing it. And the other one I love is what lit you up last week because, again, with things that light us up generally are turning on those superpowers in our brain. And so leaders having these meaningful strengths conversations we absolutely saw was part of like your strength spotting that you're suggesting. But the other one was having psychological 
safety in our mm. teams yep. to be able to experiment with our strengths. Because Susie, as you and I know, part of that using is constantly doing that, um, becoming more intelligent about where I overplay my strengths, where I underplay them, where I use them well. And so having that psychological safety with our team to experiment, to give each other feedback, to spot strengths in action with each other is a really important part if we're going to stick with uh, using our strengths consistently. Yeah, that's a really good point, Michelle. And I've not heard that connection made between psych safety and strengths explorations. That's fabulous. I'd love love a, a blog or a paper on that, Michelle, when, you, when you've got a, a spare moment. <laughs> well, there's a whole study. It was the uh, Strengths Lab 2019 Workplace Survey. Fantastic. Uh, but the data is in there that shows exactly the impact both of those elements have. The last one, just to note too, and I think this is important for workplaces and schools. The other thing we found is that, as you were saying, Susie, sort of a decade ago, strengths became quite exciting to everybody and yes. people were taking surveys with VIA and Gallup and other tools. And then I think it, you know, it has become a little more the last few years, kind of like, oh, we've already done yeah, that. And that. the other thing that we found in that study in 2019 is unless workplaces continue to have a consistent commitment and like embed it in the way they're recruiting, doing performance reviews, having coaching conversations and the like, then even though they can be saying to their workers, yeah, do the survey you're free to use your strengths, they will not continue to see those kind of outcomes around engagement and performance and job satisfaction that we often see in the research are a benefit of being strengths-focused. And so just to bear in mind to organisations, be they workplace, school, anything else, they actually need to sustain that commitment. It can't Absolutely. be a tick-the-box exercise. We did strengths, we're done. They need to keep talking about it, prioritising and showing it's important. Absolutely. We talk about the importance of a strength strategy, creating a strength strategy, like you said, from onboarding right through to perhaps outplacement even as well. And I know some of the teams, we we highly recommend that there's it's not just a one-off workshop. And in some cases, we've been fortunate to have a really enthusiastic, say, HR business partner that's gone a bit further themselves. So rather than having us continue to consult, that they've had an internal support to support the leader. But also we've had enthusiastic leaders that just love this and, you know, bring it to life in their team meetings every week. But yeah, that's a really important, isn't it, is the sustainability. Absolutely. And again, I just think there's always a danger, both with strengths, but m much of the post-psych work that we do, where it can kind of be a one workshop, tick the box exercise. We yeah. did that, haven't we already? You know, <laughs> oh, we've done of, that. We've yeah. sort of that, surely. Are we flourishing yet? <laughs> um, to really kind of weaving it into the culture, into the way we role model, into our routines, our rituals, the rhythms of the way that we work together. Yeah, absolutely. So, Michelle, could you share with us perhaps a couple of research findings that you think might have real practical application and people listening might benefit from? Yeah, listen, um, one of my favourites is helping us to be more strengths intelligent about right. the way we use it. I think one of the things I learned in the early days with my auditors was, you know, for people, sometimes asking them to be more strengths focused can actually be a real challenge to their identity. Mm. Um, if I'm a proud problem solver and you're coming in now to tell me it would be better if I was more strengths focused, that can actually feel pretty threatening to what I think my value is in That's the world. It. And so we we always talk about how do we help 
to be more strengths intelligent. Now, that doesn't mean that problem solving and looking for the things that aren't working with it doesn't have value. It just means we want to wrap a strengths lens kind of around the way we do that. And so two of my favorite studies that just help us think about the intelligence and the nuance around these strengths, um, one is from the wonderful Ryan Nemec at the VIA Institute. And in 2013, Ryan did a study that found that focusing on our top five strengths, which is, of course, so often what we recommend with strengths assessment tools, it's important for many of us, but it's particularly important for those of us who might be feeling low in meaning and purpose. So those top five strengths, yes, generally the literature suggests focusing there is beneficial, particularly if we're low in meaning and purpose. The flip side of that is a study from 2014 that Todd Kardashian and some of his colleagues led. And it's one of my favourites, Susie, because it really helps us think about our strengths in intelligent ways. And actually in that research, they found that if you scored pretty high across a strength survey like the VIA survey, actually developing your bottom five strengths would be the most beneficial for you rather than focusing on the top ones. Fantastic. <laughs> and so I love these kind of bookend studies to just go, yeah, we just need to, I always say, I'm not that interested in what your top strengths are or how strong you are in them. I'm interested in how you feel about what your top and middle and bottom strengths are. And therefore, based on that, what do you want to do with that so that you can flourish more as you're going about your job? So they were two. I will give you another one, which is actually a more recent one um, by Hadassah Lippmann, Avida, and her wonderful team of researchers. And this was, I think, about 2018. But they had done a really interesting study in a workplace with 120 participants. And they were getting people, this was over the course of 10 days, they were looking at their different interactions and whether they were getting encouragement to use their strengths from their colleagues, from their supervisors, from nobody, (laughs) and whether that predicted then whether they increased the use of their strengths the following day or not. And what they found in that study was supervisor support was predictive of increased strength use the Mm. next day, but not so much colleagues. And so this to me is kind of interesting, Mm. you know, with our psychological safety finding because, you know, we know how much social support helps generally with behaviour change. And again, this is one organisation and 120 people, so we need more replications and variations of it. But to me also it just reinforces how important leaders are, whether you're a leader in a workplace, a leader in a school, a leader in your home, the impact that Mm. you taking notice of somebody's strength, valuing that letting them know how else they can maybe use that as they're going about what they're doing each day, just the gift that that gives somebody. Absolutely. And uh, same goes, and I'm sure there is some research, I can't quote it, but in terms of educators, and I mean, we've seen it in in real life when an educator becomes like a light bulb goes off and then they start seeing strengths in students and the students really respond to that as well, which is so wonderful. Absolutely. Michelle, the other thing that I've found over the years, and we've heard that adage, just play to your strengths, play to your strengths. And of course, there are some differences between the VIA character strengths and the Gallup Clifton Strengths Finder or the Strengths Profile. But with the VIA, my encouragement or messaging when I'm talking about it is it's not just about the top five. And, and some of those studies you mentioned sort of highlight that. For me, the full 24 are important in terms of a good character or moving towards self actualization if you like, you know, and I know I'm not there yet, Michelle, but by the time I leave the 
planet, I, I'd hope to think that I've developed fairly well on the full 24. Do you take a similar approach or what's your approach? Yeah, well, I always remember Chris Peterson teaching us that all 24 via strengths were strengths because yes. in and of themselves, they were good things. So it wasn't that your 24th strength was a weakness. It was just a lesser strength. You had less capacity yes. <laughs> and maybe less opportunity to use that strength right now than all the strengths above it. And so I always try to articulate that whenever I'm teaching or sharing the VIA uh, with new groups. The other thing I really liked that Chris spoke about, and actually a- another wonderful study on this front from Professor Barbara Fredrickson, is that while our strengths exist within us, they are also shaped by the situations we're in. Mm. And so, you know, having discussed this with Ryan, Nemec and the VIA team at different times, you know, because people want to get their results out and it's like, you know, <laughs> so many of us go straight to the bottom and I'm like, that's, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's just our negative bias in play. Nothing wrong with you, you know. But but understanding that those top five strengths are often those ones that our brain is more wired for right now because mm. we tend to have practiced and used those strengths more to where we started. But also as we're moving through different situations, we're finding ways to keep building on those strengths, which is often what pulls them to the top. Yeah. You know, that those middle strengths strengths we still have reasonable capacity in but we're just not using this often right now and so often I'll say to people you know there's something in there that you want to pull up then how do you make more opportunity to intentionally use those strengths and then those bottom ones again often to your point Susie it's not that we've got a complete absence of them and I know often people are dismayed because um, self-regulation for many of us <laughs> is down in those bottom ones yeah. but just that you know neurologically our brain's a little less wired to naturally reach for those things because we haven't practiced them as much and chances are by design or default we're not in situations that are perhaps calling on those as much as we can and so again I think just understanding to your point they are all strengths in and of themselves we have different capacities in them and one of the other reasons VIA is just one of my all-time favorite tools is because you know we see in the research and in the practice that we can through our efforts and our actions you know work to move some of those strengths around if that's what's important to us. The only caveat I always put on that when I teach it is don't do it just for social desirability. It has to actually be something that you really value and is important to you if you wanted to do the work to see shift in one of those things. And if it's just social desirability, like often for self-regulation, I'll say, look at one of your top ones that you already love doing and see how you could use that to achieve similar outcomes. And so, you know, for self-regulation, look at love or kindness or How can you think about that change you want to make, like maybe it's exercising more as an act of kindness for self or an act of self-love and see if that helps make that more engaging and energising and effective for you rather than kind of gritting your teeth and going hard at self-regulation at the bottom. Yeah, definitely, Michelle. And in terms of your own experience, I'm going to ask you the question, what are your top five strengths? (laughs) So my top strengths, number one is appreciation of beauty and excellence. So that's the forest bathing and the beaches and things like that. Uh, Curiosity, which is always up there in my top ones. I'm a constantly curious creature, as you know, Susie. Yes. Creativity. I love to create and more and more kind of leaning into my artistic self, which has uh, been good the older I get. Uh, zest and energy, which I don't think will surprise anybody that's hung around <laughs> me for very long. No. <laughs> and gratitude. Gratitude is number five. Wow. Well, we share three of the same. So I have curiosity, creativity, and oh, what was the other one that you just said? <laughs> curiosity, creativity. 
I've had a mental blank. Ah, it'll come back. (laughs) It's always the way, isn't it? (laughs) It'll come back. It'll come. And I often do find that in having debriefed people over the years that curiosity and creativity, it's quite common to see them together. I don't know, again, if there's any research on that, but that's been my observation. Yeah, I don't know that there is research specific to those pairings, but yeah, my, my observation as well, and I know my very best moments that light me up is when I've got to learn something and then try and find a creative way to share it with others. So uh, absolutely, Zest. Zest was that's number four, it, Susie. of course, of course. That's my top one. How could I forget that? Maybe because I'm not feeling very zesty today, possibly. <laughs> so that's so wonderful. And we have just touched briefly on using the VIA character strengths with children. And I guess one of my concerns early on was that children weren't put in a box just to say these are your top five mm. strengths, that it is about developing the full 24. Any thoughts on why you think it's so important to introduce the science, particularly of character strengths, to our children? Well, I think it's hard to be the best version of yourself if you don't have a language to describe mm. that. And, of course, our negativity bias does tend to get us to focus on what's not working and what's not so great about ourselves so often. And what I find introducing anybody of any age to character strengths, but particularly kids, is it starts to help them build that self-identity about what is good in them and what lights them up. And my youngest, who's now 10, but when he was, I was doing this work just before he was born. And so from about the age of three, it was very clear that one of his top strengths was perseverance. Yeah. <laughs> or we might say stubbornness when it's overplayed. <laughs> yeah. And so even before he could pronounce perseverance, he'd go to kinder and he'd say, my top strength is perseverance. I love that. <laughs> and so that he knew that about himself, that he was greedy, that he could stick with things, that he could do the hard stuff. And so it was just amazing watching this very young child have a language to be able to build his sense of self-worth, self-efficacy and identity around because he understood what his strengths were, because that's the way we talk to him in our home. Absolutely. And again, that's a topic we could do a whole podcast on, but unfortunately, we don't have the time today. But Michelle, I do know, and I'm hoping I've got this right, is it the 11-minute challenge that you created? Is it 11? That's right. Yeah, The 11-minute strength challenge. Well remembered. I I love it. We quote it and reference it, I might add, in our work as well. Can you share with us exactly how it works? Absolutely. So when I was first playing with my strengths and I was trying to find a way to be more strength-focused as I went about my job, the big challenge, as it is for many of us, was just trying to find the time to fit it in and to remember to do it. So I used that good old curiosity and got curious about how do we change behaviours. And some of the research at that time had been uh, focused in The Power of Habits, which was written by Charles Mm. Duhigg, which featured the work of a number of researchers, including Anne Graybill, around the neurological habit loop we have, where there's some kind of cue that triggers our habit off. There's the routine that we perform and then there's the reward that we get at the end of it. And so I was like, right, maybe I could have like an 11-minute daily strengths habit and see if I could just start fitting this in. And so curiosity was the first strength I was working on. And so my cue was I'd leave, these were the days pre-Kindle, I'd leave a book or a magazine article across my keyboard on my desk the night before. Uh, So when I left work, it always went on top of the desk. In the morning, I get in. So the cue would be I go to turn on the computer or the book was there or the magazine article. And I'd pick 
get up and I'd set an alarm to read for 10 minutes and just kind of lose myself and enjoy it because I could have been there all day if I didn't set the alarm. And at that time, it was early in my post-psych journey, so I was reading everything to do with post-psych. And then my reward was that I got to, um, I was, and again, this is the nerd in me, I would get (laughs) to write down one thing that I learned. And at the end of that week, I used to email them to my boss, even though he was not asking them for them, but did help him end up funding my master's in post-psych just to shut me up in the end. Um, So this was the 11 minutes. So the cue is kind of 30 seconds, something easy to get you started, kind of help you fall into it or anchor it to habits you already have. The routine, so 10 minutes just using your strength in the zone, one with the music, just getting all the energy and the enjoyment that comes from that. And then 30 seconds at the end to make sure you celebrate, which is the step most of us miss in any habit. So whether that's a little high five for yourself or your ticket off the list or you're a nerd like me and you get to send what you learned onto somebody else, then uh, that's the way that an 11-minute strength habit can work. I love it, Michelle. And tell me if I'm correct. From memory, it's from your book, The Strengths Blueprint. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Which was a lot of fun just trying to pull together everything I'd been learning about strengths and teaching to the auditors, bless them, but also using an appreciative inquiry approach, which of course is a strength-based approach to creating change. So sort of fusing all the very best of the strengths, both in the tools and the research, but also how do we create more strength-focused jobs, lives, families by using those appreciative inquiry questions to guide us. We love AI. So Michelle, we'll definitely put the link to not just the Strengths Blueprint, but you've got a number of other books that you've published, which are all in my library, I might add. But what other, if if people are interested after today in learning more about Strengths, is there a book or a podcast or TED Talk or something that you would recommend? Yeah, I really love Ryan Nemec's Character Strengths Interventions Mm. and that 11-minute habit is in there. But it's my go-to Bible, not just because the start of it has some great definitions and overview and understanding of the VIA survey and how it works. But then the whole back of it as a practitioner is just like idea after idea after idea and all beautifully organized and coded. So it is the book I most often find myself reaching for on the shelf. Yes. And I did have that and I left it on a plane. And um, I haven't (laughs) bought another copy, which I'll have to do. But I often think, well, the person that picked it up perhaps needed it. So (laughs) what a gift they got. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us and sharing your knowledge. There's so much that more that you could have shared, but it's been wonderful to speak with you today. And should I let you get back to your forest bathing now? (laughs) Absolutely. Back to some forest bathing. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's so wonderful to talk to you on this topic of might. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks very much for listening to the Positivity Prescription Podcast Series 1. Don't forget to sign up to our Facebook page and for our e-news. You can subscribe from the website, thepositivityinstitute.com.au, where you can also stay up to date with all things positive. See you next episode and remember, life's too short to languish. <laughs>